0: happy father's day to to everyone and, um, and and let me just say that I, I know that going into a day like father 's day uh, I understand that i am I'm treading on some very delicate ground. Uh, and on the one hand, I do just want to say uh, thank you and how grateful I am to my own dad. And just, uh, uh, you know, my, my dad has been exceedingly generous and has made it his life's work to be a blessing and a support to me and to my brothers and to my sisters. And, and I am so grateful for that. And I know there are so many great dads in a room like this. And today, uh, I just want to honor uh, fathers. And I, what I understand is that we live in a culture that that devalues fatherhood at every chance that it gets. And so I just want to say to all the fathers in the room, um, ignore culture, because what you do as a father truly matters. Uh, I want to honor the fathers in this room. And in fact, I think it matters more than we could ever just acknowledge uh, in one day of the year. And I, and I think our, our culture's devaluing of fatherhood and ignoring of fatherhood really stems from its desire to ignore the pain and the negative impact that so many people with bad or absent fathers have had. I think it's easier instead of saying, well, fatherhood matters to say, well, there's a lot of pain here. Let's just kind of push this aside. Um, and I know I've spent so many, so much time with so many of you uh, in this room uh, to know that a conversation about the joys and the sorrows uh, connected to the story of your relationship with a man called dad is a lot more than a simple coffee shop conversation that we would have across the street. Uh, Because whether you're 15 or whether you're 51, there's something about fatherhood and our relationship with our own dads that makes a really deep impression on our lives. And every now and then, um, we get really good reminders that while there are great dads, good fathers, men who step in and shape the lives of so many children, there are also millions of people that never actually have that positive experience. And one of the times that this issue of fatherness, fatherlessness was very unexpectedly kind of thrust in the middle of the public eye and in, in our culture uh, was in February of 2016 and uh, the, the the TV talent show, American Idol, had made the announcement that they were they were done. They were wrapping up the show, and uh, many of you knew for many years before that this show is done, please. It was just kind of a blessing when they finally decided to put that thing down. It was a it was a sick animal. But anyways, and so they finally announced, okay, we're going we're gonna to call it quits. Uh, you know, nobody's watching our show anymore, we know. And um, But but what they did is they wanted to be nostalgic, and so they decided they would invite uh, one of their their biggest sort of superstars that they had launched uh, to come and sing a new original song, and not the season finale, at the series, uh, series finale, the end of the show. And so they invited Kelly Clarkson, one of their original winners, to sing a new song that she had written for the finale. And and all I can say is that for anyone who's ever doubted the impact that only a father can have, good or bad, um, all you need to do is listen to her sing a song that she wrote about her dad versus her husband, the father of her own children. And you understand that this issue of father, father impact and the significance of it is, is massive. Um, so I actually got the clip for you. I'd like you to watch this and see what, see what you notice.
1: Go ahead. But your love, it isn't free. It has to be earned. Back then I didn't have anything you needed, so I was worthless. Piece by piece, he collected me You're off the ground where you abandoned things. Yeah. Piece by piece, he filled the holes that you burned in me. You're six years old, you know, he never walks away, he never asks for money. He takes care of me, cause he loves me. Peace by piece, he restored my faith. That a man can be kind, and a father could stay Peace by peace well, Peace piece by piece, I fell far from the tree I will never leave her like You left me and she will never have to wonder her worth Because unlike you, I'm gonna put her first And you know, he'll never walk away He'll never walk away He'll never break her heart He'll take care of things He'll love her And piece by piece He'll restore my faith That a man can be kind, and a father, and a father should be great.
0: In that moment, nobody really expected the level of raw emotion to come out uh, in a song like that. You know, they just kind of thought, well, let's get our biggest superstar to end out the show with a bang. What? And, and this is the song that she chose to sing. And, you know, I think as Christians, it is so important that we pay attention to the songs of our culture. Uh, and in this moment, you get this raw glimpse through the sort of glitzy facade of Hollywood and show business into the soul of our culture. And the stories that actually impact our lives. There's not a dry eye in the room, and it's you, the, the camera pans through the audience, and you see the tears. What you begin to realize is this isn't just Kelly's story. This is a lot of people's story. And there's just this high level of identification with that. In fact, this is what happens when, when you touch on something, when you begin to discuss something as significant as fatherhood, and I remember when Amber and I watched this, this together, uh, I remember thinking, you know, the sad reality is that that, for me, has been the majority of the teenagers that I have known uh, throughout my career. Now, I've been a youth pastor for about 18 years, so that means that this isn't, that isn't just the majority story for the teens in my youth ministry now. This was, well, the majority story of many 30-year-olds because I've just been around that long. That means that in my career alone, I would just say that this issue of fatherhood and father failure um, has been an incredibly significant issue, and it's something that I would have thought that you know 20 years ago maybe we thought well maybe we could have done something different about this by now, but you know based on the conversations I keep having and based on the statistics that about 40 percent of kids from grades one through 12 live in a home where their biological father has chosen to be absent. I just don't think the conversation is over. And so for some of you, when you hear that, you see that song, this is your story. And for some of you, it's your spouse's story. And for some of you, it's your best friend's story. For some of you, it's your dad's story. And for some of you, your father may not have physically left you, but the relationship is so broken or so absent that you feel all of the emotions as if he had So the reality is that no matter who you are, the crisis of fatherlessness impacts your story. And while this might seem like a very depressing thing to talk about on Father's Day, I actually can't imagine a more important day to go here. Because a song like that and a response like that, it calls us to pause and pay attention. It reminds us just how much fatherhood matters. And as Christians, if we want to be a relevant part of our culture, then we had better be prepared to speak into the vacuum of fatherlessness. Both in the world we live in, but also in our own lives. And I want to make a really bold statement this Father's Day, and that is that the only thing that will heal the brokenness in our culture is the good father heart of God. And that the best way that is expressed is actually through men who are great fathers, both to their own children and to those children who do not have a father. So our ability to understand what a father really is and what God really does as a father really, really matters. And so that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to go deep into the definition of fatherhood to see how God demonstrates his father heart so that we can both heal our lives, but also so that we can be a part of what God is doing in the lives of other people. You know, in every culture, uh, almost without exception, the role of a father is unanimous. It is three things, and that is number one, to provide and protect his children so that they can be secure. Number two, to teach and guide his children so that they can learn the skills necessary for life. And number three to name his children so that they will know who they are. And while anyone who has grown up without a father in their home could very easily relate to points number one and two, it's actually the third one that speaks particularly deeply into our lives And so today, that's kind of the center of our conversation that a father's role to name his children goes so far beyond uh, the the name that is going to be called out onto the playground to tell you to come on home and wash up. It is so much bigger than that. Historically, and in every culture up until now, a name tells you and everybody else who you are and whose you are. A father names his children to let the world know, this is my son, this is my daughter, and if you mess with them, you will have to mess with me. It is a stamp that goes on to a life when children are born, so that they will know who they are, and so will everyone else. When my children are given the last name Morgan, they, with it, they gain access to the entire Morgan family. It's history, it's legacy, the relationships that go back generations. Just last Saturday, I was in Toronto for the day to attend my, my grandmother's memorial. And, you know, those are always those special moments, those special events where, you know, we had a, you know, over 100 members of our family that, you know, from, from every sort of branch of the family tree all in one room and, and, and it occurred to me in that moment you know we had, we had little cousins and you know like all the grandkids and things like that and great grandkids who in some cases were meeting some of their family members for the first time But but here's the interesting thing is that you know when you're born into a family, when you're given that family name, you get access to the whole family tree. No, no one there had to earn the love or the care of their aunts or their uncles or their cousins or their grandparents. It just goes with being a part of that family and carrying that name. But there's a second level to this as well, and I could really tell this story in the I could really tell the story about any of my three children, but I chose my my second daughter, Macy, because I think it makes the point most significantly. Uh, Before Macy was born, uh, Amber and I had not decided on what she should be called. And so she was born by C-section just because of the way that she was turned. And so when the doctors had delivered her, uh, they had to hand her to me because Amber was on an operating room table, you know, getting s- sewn up. I mean, she was really trying to take her Christ-likeness to the next level because they were so worried when you're awake for a surgery that you'll flail around. They literally strap your arms down like this on this weird hospital bed that looks like a cross. It was very it was a holy moment, I suppose. And so Amber was, I mean, poor girl, she can not even scratch her nose if she was itching. You know, she, she's kind of like stra- down like this, and of course they're, you know, they're trying to sew her back up, but you know, those, those first few moments are so important for a baby, and so of course, you know, they, they, handed, they handed Macy to me while uh, they're getting Amber sorted out before she could hold her, and, and I remember I looked at her face, and I just told Amber, I said, her name is Macy Grace, that's what she looks like to me, and I named her, I, I named her, and her name means something, and Macy is actually, by the way, a mashup of two French French names that mean, well, a weapon and a gift from God. And grace means the favor of God, the divine goodness that's at work in the world. And so her full name literally means a sharp gift of God, which brings about goodness in the world. And I named her that. Now, it's not enough just to name your kid, because if I gave her that name and then I stepped out of her life and I don't know what good it would be, how could she know what her name means if I'm not there to tell her? Names are symbols of meaning, but they don't actually carry the meaning unless the person who gives you the name sticks around and is a part of your life. So my job as a father is to stick around and teach her who she is, that she is God's gift, sharp when she needs to be, to bring about God's favor and goodness around her. Now if you know Macy at all and you're involved in our kids ministry, you will know that she lives up to that name very well. She is God's gift, sharp when she needs to be, to bring about God's favor and goodness around her. But the question that you and I need to ask is, what do we do when this goes terribly wrong? What do we do? What happens when your dad does not give you a name, either literally or metaphorically? What happens to a girl like Kelly Clarkson who grows up without knowing who she is and chasing her dad through an airport, praying that he would pay attention to her? What happens when you spend your entire childhood trying to figure out who you are supposed to be because there is nobody there to show you? See, that's why some people under the surface, sure, they have a a surface name. They have a name that's on their driver's license, but under the surface, they have a real name, That is far darker. Their driver's license says Joe, but their real name is Doesn't Matter. Their driver's license says Jennifer, but their real name is Invisible Kid. Because they learned early on that they were simply not significant to deserve a name that has a meaningful identity attached. And then there is an even darker question that we add to that, which is, what do you do if your father gives you a bad name? What do you do there? Sure, the name on your driver's license is John or Sue or whatever, but for all practical purposes, your name might as well be Screw Up, Failure, Idiot, Ugly, Worthless. I mean, it hurts badly enough if your dad is not in your life. But if the name he has for you is Loser or Ditz or Slut or something far worse, the cut goes deep and it tends to mark us for the rest of our lives. And so the question that needs to be answered for you, for your friends, for your family members, for your neighbor's kids, for every kid who participates in a program at this church, is what do we do when the name that somebody gets from their father fails them? What do we do when we find ourselves living out of an identity based on the wrong name? When sure, we've got a name on our driver's license, but where we really live from is a name that says failure, a name that says insignificant, a name that says loser. When we experience the reality of father failure, where do we go and where do we turn and He started asking this question, and believe it or not, the Bible is actually full of stories of father failure. I used to think that, you know, if everyone would just follow the examples in the Bible, things would be great. Well, that's actually not true at all. In fact, if people followed the fatherhood examples in the Bible, society would be even worse now than it is. Just so you know. I mean, you start reading it, and and I think what God does in the Bible is that he shows us that father failure is incredibly real. When you read story after story about dads that are cheating on their wives, about dads who abandon their daughters in the wake of something horrific like rape or abuse, dads who get drunk and ignore their kids, dads who steal from their sons, dads who just generally screw up people's lives then what you actually get is a picture of how God steps into father failures in order to bring healing and life and restoration. Because in each of these stories and scriptures, the next big character in the story is always God showing up as a redemptive father. And so today on Father's Day, we kind of get this really needed reminder That father wounds and father failure and father fiction are not the end of a person's life. And if you bear those wounds, you are in the good company of men and women who have been healed and transformed by a loving God in the midst of those places. So, this morning, I want to bring your attention to a very significant moment in the life of a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob was a twin. He had a brother named Esau, and they had a father named Isaac. And Isaac was kind of a big deal because his father, Abraham, was like the Abraham, the guy who was, you know, God called him and said, Leave your, your, you know, the land of your forefathers and everything and go to the land I show you. And I mean, Abraham had been called by God to literally change the world, to begin the, the permanent process of humanity's redemption. And this legacy was then passed on to Isaac. And and Isaac's name meant laughter or, or we will rejoice. And the meaning of the name was attached to the circumstances of his birth because his parents were so old that they didn't even believe that they could have children. And yet through a miracle, Isaac came along. And so here's Isaac, this man who has been called by God to continue what God has begun in Abraham. And he is a permanent part of God's redemption story in history, and yet he is an example of a not-so-great father. And the reality is just because God has called you to do something great does not mean that you are going to be a great person. There are a lot of people God uses for great things that are terrible husbands and terrible wives and terrible fathers and terrible mothers. You don't get to use your calling as some kind of credential or pass making you a great person And in Isaac's trouble, in my opinion, actually begins with the naming of his children. Esau, the first twin, means hairy, literally. He had a kid that had lots of hair, and so he named him the hairy one. I mean, I, 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 that in itself is just kind of astounding. I mean, uh, you know, I, well, I can't really give Isaac an award for the best child name. It also, I guess, doesn't make him the worst. It just puts him on the level of celebrities who name their kids things like Apple or Moon Unit or Boing Boing or whatever, you know, celebrities are naming their kids these days. I mean, they're not bad parents, per se, but you're going to look at that name and be like, why? Like, that's going to be on their passport. Can you imagine this poor guy clearing through customs? Hairy one. I go by Harold now. No, hairy one. Like, that's like, that's awkward. And so poor Esau grows up with the name, the hairy guy. But when Esau's twin brother is delivered... The second twin is holding onto the heel of his brother as he's born, and so his father names him Jacob, which means the heel holder. And you're thinking, okay, weird choice. Like, clearly, you're looking at saying, like, Isaac is, does not have the baby name book, okay? He is struggling for ideas. He's like, well, that one's Harry, and that one was holding his heel. Well, naming solved, his poor wife. Um, but you might know, sit there and say, well, what's the big deal? But the big deal is this is in Hebrew. The, the word the heel holder is actually an idiom. It's a metaphor that everybody in their culture knows and understands. And so while Jacob may literally mean heel holder, the actual meaning of the name in that language is supplanter. Uh, it's, It's the image of someone who comes behind another person who has done all the hard work, takes them out of the picture, and then steals what they have worked for. For all practical purposes, the connotation in our culture would be like if you named your kid Betrayer. So Isaac has two sons, the hairy one and the Betrayer. And if you follow the story of Jacob and what his life looks like, the name that his father gives him becomes him. Being told your whole life that you are a betrayer has an effect on you and that is exactly what he does. He betrays his brother in a cunning move and he manipulates his brother actually not only out of his fortune and his inheritance, but he, he steals the blessing of his father. I mean, this kind of move, if you do this, if you understand family dynamics, man, this is not going to go over well. In fact, things get so bad that he has to flee the country because his brother Esau is now determined to murder him. He stole his money, he stole his land, he stole his father's blessing, and Esau is out for blood. But it doesn't stop there because betrayer becomes Jacob's life until he ends up paying for it in deep pain across every part of his story. He is betrayed, and then he betrays. And then he is betrayed, and then he betrays. And at this point in the story, when he is just on the run, without any real home, you start to wonder, how is God going to use someone like Jacob the betrayer in his redemption plan? I can only imagine what this was like for Jacob. I mean, every time someone says his name, he is reminded of the sins of his past, who he really is, and what he has done, until one day things finally change. Once again, Jacob, of course, is in fear for his life. This is a theme in his story. I guess if you're a betrayer, that's going to happen. And his brother, his first betrayer, is coming with an army. And he's terrified that he has less than 24 hours to live, so he cries out to God, who shows up in the story in person. And Jacob, with nothing left to lose, he grabs a hold of him and he says, I will not let go of you until you bless me. And isn't that exactly what our lives look like when Father is a story of fiction in our lives. This guy's dad has given him a horrible name. And, and then, of course, he's, his dad is the one who advised him to run away when his brother wanted to kill him. And without dad to protect him, without dad to teach him, without dad to show him who he is, Jacob is desperate. And that's why he says to God, listen, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Because when we do not live with the blessing of a father, we will search our entire lives for that blessing. That is why we become workaholics. That is why we cling to unhealthy relationships. That is the reason why we spiral into addiction. And it it's because when we do not live with the blessing of a father in our lives, we will search our whole lives for that blessing in other places. And we will become desperate. And what happens next in the story is just startling and Jacob just, he literally won't go. It's not a metaphor when he says, I won't let go. He will not go. He starts wrestling with God. And all night, he struggles with him. He wrestles. He won't give up until finally, suppose tired of the drama, God just simply touches his hip and instantly it pops out of place. Excruciating pain. He's now left lying on the ground. And it's what happens next that's startling. Let me read it with you. We'll put it on the screen, but it says this. It says, God revealed him once again to Jacob after he had come back from Patamaram and blessed him. Your name is Jacob, but that is your name no longer. From now on, your name is Israel, which means the God wrestler. And God continued, I am the strong God. Have children and flourish a nation. A whole company of nations will come from you. Kings will come from your loins. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac I now give to you, and I pass it on to your descendants. God actually blesses him. God intervenes, and the first thing he does is give him a new name. He says, Jacob, your name isn't the betrayer anymore. It's God wrestler. Now let me tell you who you are and what it means. And God begins with himself. He says, he says, Jacob, you're not Jacob, you're Israel. And here's what it means, I'm the strong God. The one that you wrestle, God wrestler, it's me. I'm the strong God and I am blessing you and your children. You will flourish and I'm going to establish your family as the beginning of a nation. Kings will descend from you. I will give you a land and a home for your descendants. See, God wrestler has so much context in this story. It's like he's saying to him, he says, because you were man enough to hold on and not let go, here's who you are. You are no betrayer. You're one who holds on to God no matter what. And that holding on to God no matter what is something that you will pass on to your children. And I will protect you. And I will teach you. And I will establish you. See, make no mistake, in this moment, God actually became the true father to Jacob. He named him, and now he is going to personally provide for him. He is going to guide him, because that's who God is. God enters our father wounds, and he looks us in the eye, and he speaks to our story. He looks at you and he says, listen, you were named worthless, but now I'm going to name you restored one. You will be my child and you will know that I go before you. Follow me and your children will be blessed. They will not know the pain of abandonment, but rather that I am their father and yours and I will restore all things. God looks into your story and he says, I know that you named yourself the lost one, but I'm going to rename you ambassador and you will be my representative to lost people. And I myself will go with you and sustain you and you will know purpose and you will know meaning and you will know peace. There's even some of you right here that need to hear that God would look at you and say, I know that you were named Screw Up, but now I name you Joy. And just so you know, I take great pride in who you are and your life will plant seeds of happiness and peace and security for your family because you are my child, dearly loved, and the joy you have in following me will be the joy you pass along to your children. You see, that's who God is. And that's how God responds to father failure is he gives you a new name and he tells you who you are now. And I wonder how many of us need God to look us in the eye this morning and actually do that and rename us. I wonder how many of you have a name that you use under your breath about yourself that God did not give you. The truth is that even if your dad was a wonderful man, someone who loves you and has been involved in your life, someone truly worthy of being celebrated on Father's Day, you still may have adopted a name to describe yourself that is not something God ever intended. You might see yourself as something less than God says who you are, but you need to know that that name, that identity, that idea of who you think you are is not all that there is. In a fatherless world, there is an entire generation that is desperately trying to define who they are right now because they've never been told in fact that is the dominant narrative of our culture we tell every kid look deep inside yourself dig around for a little bit somewhere in there is this identity pull it out of you and be true to that but the reality is is that's just not how identity works In fact, central to the Christian story is the idea that identity is not something that I can dig up from inside of me. Identity is only a gift and is a gift that I receive from God, my good father, that he tells me who I am and that he holds that identity securely until I am able to take hold of it. That's what's missing. And so this morning, you need to receive a new name, a name that only God can give you. Remember what we said a father does is three things. Is Number one, a father provides and protects for his children so they can be secure. That he teaches and guides his children so they can learn the skills needed for life. And that a father names his children so they know who they are. And the impact of fatherhood is deep. But maybe the beginning of your healing for your own father wounds really come from allowing God to speak to you this morning and to speak to the core of your identity. Maybe you need to acknowledge like Jacob that the name that you walk around with haunts you and painfully defines you. And I would invite the worship team to return to the stage and I would say this, maybe this morning, maybe the best thing you could do on Father's Day would be to look God in the eye the way that Jacob did and say, God, I, I, I will not let go. I will not let go until you bless me. Watch what happens when you do that. And then God looks to you and says, listen, from now on, I will be your father. And this is who you are. I know that there are a number of men in the room that have the responsibility of being a father, but we need to settle this once and for all. I am a better Father when I look to God as the source of my identity. I am a better husband when I base everything on who God says I am. The reality is that when we celebrate Father's Day, what we need to recognize is that for me and for you as a father, I can only bless my children to the extent that I allow God to bless me. And so the question we ask ourselves as fathers and father figures is, do I, do I live up to Jacob? Am I, re- am I still contending with God for that blessing? Am I still wrestling with God to say, God, I need this from you. I need you to tell me who I am. Because, man, if you let anything else tell you who you are, it's a disaster. See, whether you're a father or not, if the wounds of your father run deep to a place where you know that you have adopted an identity that isn't from God, then I would invite you to come to him and allow him to speak into your identity. Would you stand with me together? I'd love to just pray for you and just invite you into that process because maybe you're in this room right now and the truth is that the name that's on your driver's license is not what you call yourself. It might be something different. It's something that's so painful you don't even want to share it with other people. But it's there. And if that's your life, what I would invite you to do in this moment we're just going to take a moment of quietness. I want to I just want to honor what God would say to you. Would you join me in a moment just close your eyes and turn your attention to the God who defines identity and let him speak to you just for a moment. Father, we invite you to speak to the heart of our own identities. God, we invite you to erase the bad names that have been given to us. God, we invite you to tell us who we really are. And we pray, God, that you would give us the courage to live from the identity you give us not for the identity that we have merely accepted. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.